Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka Hi, everybody. Welcome to On a Mother Level. I'm Denise Anitka, your host, and I am so glad that you are back for another episode of the podcast. First of all, you guys loved last week's episode. You guys cried during last week's episode. And I appreciate your feedback very much after my interview with Jessica McKerney about Hudson, her little boy who's battling leukemia. Thank you so much for the feedback. Thank you for all rallying around Jessica and for donating blood. The people who told me that they were going to go out and donate blood because of that interview. Thank you. If you have not listened to episode 67, Hudson Strong, I highly recommend you do so. It is an interview I still think about. There was a lot. There was a lot of depth to it. I think this next guest is perfect after a heavy episode last week. In this episode, you are going to meet Tara Clark. Tara Clark is an author and an Instagrammer. She has the Instagram account Modern Mom Probs. It's a very popular account on Instagram, over 500,000 followers. And she talks about how she built it from one follower, from having her son living in New York City and wanting to share her experience like so many of us do. And so a couple years ago, she started this Instagram account, and it's grown into this mom empire. And so she's talking to me today because she has a book coming out in April, and it is a bit of a survival guide, a survival guide to being a mom and all of our different modern mom probs. And as you'll hear me talk to Tara about in this episode, there are so many modern mom probs, and so many of them have changed and become bigger, and some became smaller in the last year. So we talk about all of those. She handles all of these probs with such a delicate balance of knowing when to take something seriously and when to know when we are just all relating together and laughing something off. So you guys are really going to enjoy our conversation. My modern mom prob, if you will, today is that I am trying to figure out if my oldest, my four-year-old, is ready to no longer sleep in the night diaper because he's potty trained during the day. And so how do you know when he's ready to try to be dry at night? So that's the challenge that we are embarking on this week. He's woken up dry so many times, and I think he's ready. 
That is my current modern mom prob. And then of course, once I get my four-year-old out of his night diapers, that's when it's going to be time to get very, very serious about potty training my two-year-old. So wish me luck on both of these things. A lot of potty here in the house. A lot of potty, you know, a lot of little boys in potties. Yeah, pray for me. My Instagram is at on a mother level, and you're going to want to follow Tara after this too. She is at modern mom probs. Her whole vibe is this, and I know you can relate. I got 99 problems, but motherhood ain't one. How are you, Denise? It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me today. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love There's nothing I love more than talking about motherhood, so I'm good. Well, that's fantastic. I hope you will forgive me for being a bit frazzled today because I'm having the most modern of all mom probs. And that is there's a snowstorm. My kids are home and I'm trying to work from home. So I'm like, yeah, I got all of that going on too. So uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. My my son who is eight is a fully virtual learner this year. So he's home, but right now he's in between like, he's on break for the next 10 minutes. So like this started and then like, he has to like get himself onto his, his next class. So I, I get it. Like it's all the same stuff. So I'm, I'm with you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The concept of what is a modern mom problem has evolved so significantly in just the past like five months. <laughs> it really has though. I mean, really in so many ways. Like, you know, we, I used to kind of joke that like, it was about like, obviously mo- they're usually first world problems. Now, like they're not first world problems so much anymore. It used to be like, you know, going to Target and hanging out and like, it's not. Now it's like pandemic and teaching your kids and all of that kind of stuff and and being present. And it's just so much. Well, I'm so glad that you are going to chat with us here on the podcast today. If you would start just by telling me a little bit about your family. Sure. I have one son. He's eight years old. His name is Jack. I like to say just Jack, like from Will and Grace. And he is a spirited child, or at least he definitely was when he was younger. He's sort of mellowing out now a little bit. Oh, is that right? He's reaching the mellow threshold. I think so. I think eight is a great age so far. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it because it's like the perfect balance of like, he's still kind of a baby for some things, but then he's also like very independent in other things. So um, it's a really sweet balance. He loves hugs and cuddles, but at the same time, he could log himself onto his Zoom class. (laughs) The best of both worlds. It really is. Well, I am a fellow boy mom as well. I have two. Um, Abram is four and Everett just turned two going to be watching to see what eight looks like. I think it's great. We had a really hard time with Jack from when he was like 18 months to about two and a half, almost three. So much so to the point where like many times I say that's why he's an only child because I could not even have wrapped my head around adding another family member into our family dynamic at that time because his like tantrums were so bad. It was just like all hands on deck all the time, all of my, my mental state like stability and everything was was on that so uh hang in there so I'm with you like I I see you yeah with the struggle at that age it's, it's challenging but again not every every kid is like that you know it, it just depends on the family it depends on the person it depends on the child absolutely it's different for everybody and yet we all kind of come together over the same sorts of problems whether we experience them at you know one point or another or in a different way Motherhood is so relatable. Yes, 
It really is. Who would have thought that? But it really is. And I'm so glad now that there's a platform, many platforms, hundreds of thousands of platforms all over the place that's talking about it. Because when I had my son eight years ago, there really was no place to talk about it. And then when I had miscarriages 10 years ago, there was really no place to talk about it. That Facebook existed, but Facebook was like, I ate a sandwich today. And then you like take a picture of the sandwich. Like that was it. Like no one was really talking about the relatable real world things that we're talking about now. And I'm so glad that there is a platform to have these conversations. So is the Instagram account where you started having these conversations? Was that the first place? Yes. Okay. And how has it evolved over, um, since you started it, did it just start out with your own personal experiences? And then as it grew, you kind of, how, how did it evolve for you? Oh, that's a great question. So I started my Instagram. Let me backtrack even before that, before my son was born, I worked at Nickelodeon and I worked, uh, I was Dora the Explorer on Facebook. So I worked in social media at Nickelodeon and you were Dora you ran Dora's account on Facebook. Yes. And so it's funny because my mom will tell people like, oh, my daughter was Dora the Explorer. I was like, on Facebook, mom, on Facebook. I'm not actually Dora the Explorer. So uh, yes, I, I worked <laughs> in Nick. I know it's so random. So I worked um, on the Nick Jr. properties and the Nick at Night properties and, um, and obviously Dora and Team Umizumi and all those guys. And so when my son was born, I left work and I stayed home with him full time. Then when he was about three, I was like sort of looking for something to do like a hobby or like something to fill my time because being home with him was lonely. You know, it was lonely. And I was sort of looking like for a reason to, I don't know, do something aside from just, you know, being with him all the time. And so I said to my friends and family, I was like, I'm going to start an Instagram page. And they're like, what are you talking about? And like, this is like pretty early on. It was um, 2016. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to like start an Instagram page. Like, all right, I guess. So I originally started it um, to sort of lampoon living in the city because we were living in Manhattan at the time. And so I was sort of like lampooning the lifestyle there. And then we moved out of the city in 20, oh, it was the fall of 2016, but early 2017, I was like, I'm not having New York City problems anymore. Like I'm having modern mom problems. I'm in the suburbs now, it's a different world. And so I switched the name, I changed the name uh, in April of 2017. And then the account just took off from there because people were like, yeah, I'm having modern mom problems too. And so it was sort of there. And so it was always very comical, like humorous in nature. And so only probably in the last, maybe like two or three years has it gotten more serious and we have all of the conversations. Sure. Serious conversations, light conversations, true conversations. From what it was originally then to what it is now is like, night and day different, like could not be more different because one thing that I see is as a really big difference is in the beginning stages of Instagram, it primarily was um, a photo sharing app, right? So you're taking these beautiful pictures and everything's perfect and beautiful and the models and all this kind of stuff. But now in the past, like two years or so, people are saying like, hold the phones. We want to see the reality. We want to see the truth. It doesn't have to be everything's always airbrushed and beautiful photos all the time. Like, where's real life. And I love that shift in the, in the medium. And so uh, people are being real and raw. And, and that was not something that existed, you know, five years ago. And so where does writing the book fall in? When did you decide or was it always kind of in the back of your head that you might want to do something like that? It actually kind of fell in my lap. Um, I was featured by a magazine, a, a local magazine, and an editor reached out to me. And he said, hey, listen, like, I think that you should like, take all of these ideas offline and put them in a book. And I was like, hey, that's a good idea. Cause simultaneous to that, my good friend, Mary, who is my illustrator, 
she and I were having the same conversation because she said, Tara, if Instagram went away tomorrow, what would we do with all of our work? Where would all of our illustrations go? And I said, well, that's a great idea. So then, like I said, at the same time, this editor reached out to me. And so I, I got a literary agent and we shopped the book around right in the pandemic, like in, in March and April, like right when all of this stuff was hitting. And my, my literary agent, she's amazing because like, she just wasn't taking no for an answer. And so we got a book deal, which was great because all the other companies were like, oh, well, all the stores are closed and Barnes and Noble is closed and we don't know what it's going to look like because March last year, like it was so scary. Like nobody, I mean, it was so new and, and nobody really knew what was going on. And so luckily now we have a better handle on things. Um, but uh, I, we got a deal, I think it was like in June or something. And so I had six weeks to write the book. And so all summer, I was home and my son was home and sometimes my husband was home and sometimes he worked and uh, I just grinded it and, and wrote the book. And it was hard because my son didn't have camp or anything. So he was home and I was like throwing him fruit snacks and I was like trying to write. And I was like, you know, my husband was like trying to help me and stuff like that, you know, by like looking over my shoulder and being like, yes, no, uh, funny, could be funnier, whatever. That was it. And I submitted the book in August and now it's on, in production right now to be launching in April. Well, I'm in awe of the fact that you're writing and just uh, meeting this six week deadline at home in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, most of us yeah. are just trying to like be showered. I didn't say I was showered though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that really, that's very cool. I mean, how did you structure your time then to, to get it done in such a quick deadline? It was challenging. I was really overwhelmed at first. And then I said, okay, I need to just take it step by step and break it down. And the really cool thing about the book is that I talk about 99 mom probs. So I got 99 problems, but motherhood ain't one. And so uh, I just kind of just went through like from one to 99 and went tuk, 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 and, and wrote it out that way. I thought that was such a clever way of biting off these little chunks. You know, it, it fits so well with the brand of the modern mom probs, and then it just makes it so digestible. And in the beginning, you talk about, you know, like, look, if you've got a minute during nap time, you can just read a little chapter. Because how many of these big mom tell-all books, you're, you just, you picked it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. So this is so digestible. It's so easy to read. Yeah, I, I wrote it for my friends. I wrote it for everybody that is, that is my friends. And so that's what I thought, like, for me, like, I don't often sit down and read a 250 page book in one sitting. I, I just don't. And this book happens to be 240 pages. So yeah, it's meant to be, you know, read while the baby's having a nap or while you're having coffee or, you know, while you're taking breaks, folding your laundry, whatever it happens to be, like, you don't have to sit and read it all the way through. And the other really cool thing about the book is that it's not all lighthearted and it's not all serious. It has like a really nice cadence and rhythm of like serious things like postpartum depression and nursing and breastfeeding. And then it goes to lighter things like clipping your baby's fingernails or what are the best chicken nuggets, you know, all, all different things. And so it sort of runs the gamut because 99 problems, a lot of problems. Right. And sometimes you have them all in the same day. Yeah. As evidenced <laughs> by our days. I'm wondering what hesitations you had going into the book because you're walking that delicate balance of some really serious stuff and some fun stuff like chicken nuggets. Right. No, it, it, I mean, and that's a, a 
delicate balance that I do every day on Instagram is that I want to post things that people relate to, but also, you know, don't either trigger them in a certain way or, you know, get them upset. And so that is a, a very fine balance that I am accustomed to walking in. And so that's what I think is interesting about the book is that, like I said, it's not serious, all serious all the time. And it's not all funny all the time. I have medical professionals um, providing their advice, which were, gr you know, great takeaways. There's probably maybe almost 10 people that I've interviewed um, throughout the book. And so, yeah, it, it leaves for like, like you said, like the digestible little nuggets of information. But that in itself is like a mom problem, you know, because always in the back of our head, we're thinking, who's not going to like me saying this? Who's going to say I don't have the right to say that? Who's going to say that I don't have it hard enough or I don't understand? That's such a narrative that runs through our head of, of do I have the right to be saying this? And, and who's going to be offended by how I talk about this? Yes, you're absolutely right. You totally hit the nail on the head because I'm used to seeing those kind of comments and stuff like that on Instagram. You can't help but seeing that on, on social media. So lately I've been thinking like, God, what are like the Amazon reviews going to say? I don't know. So I guess we'll have to wait and see when it actually uh, launches in April. But <laughs> I, I am thinking sort of that because you're right, that really is a modern mom prop, especially for content creators and hosts and interviewers. Like, it's hard putting yourself out there. And, and normally, I'm not one to put myself out there. Because when I first started the account, I was anonymous. I didn't really peel back the, the curtain until I don't know, maybe like two or three years ago, because it's much easier to post about things or make jokes about things um, when you are anonymous. Right. So it's different right. when your name is attached. Well, so I'm a news anchor, which is my day job. And so I started um, after the birth of my second child is when I really started the podcast and started putting more of my thoughts out there on motherhood because I had a tough time after he was born. And it sort of happened by accident that I just started spilling my guts. And it's kind of led me to where I am now. So slowly as people have been hearing more from me, one of the things that I posted about was the fact that I was returning to the station after these months of being broadcasting from home in my basement. And so I wrote a long post reflecting on how I was working on this work-life balance and I was able to make some changes in my work schedule, you know, thanks to the pandemic and things like that. And it's like, there's a hundred really positive comments that are like, good for you for, you know, taking control of yourself. And then there's one that's like, well, isn't that fortunate for you that, you know, some of us don't have a job, Denise, and some of us don't have the ability to just work into our schedule. And I thought, you know, first of all, it's one, you know, but that one is what sticks in that's your mind. That's the one that's always sticks in your mind. But then second of all, it was like, do I have to always issue that disclaimer of saying, I realize my situation is not yours. And it doesn't mean that, yes, maybe mine is easier than yours, but mine's also harder than somebody. You know, it's like, it's all relative, but yet we're always in that position of feeling like we need to issue a disclaimer. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> You've absolutely, absolutely nailed it. That is so true. And, and I've gotten to the point where I feel like you can't please everyone all the time. I try to, trust me, I really yeah. do. Because even when I post something that I'm like, this is really uplifting and empowering. And then people are like, but what about this? And have you considered this? And, and just like you said, and, and I think that just happens, you know, across the board on any platform now. So all we could do is just try to do our best and be as inclusive as possible. And I think that's really just the key to it is, you know, 
you have to be you though, too. You have to be, you know, authentic to who you are and what your situation right. is. Right, exactly. I wrote down some of the, these problems. And so I want to kind of just take them one at a time. Number one, you can love being a mom, but you don't have to love every second. Yes, that is true. Right before I came on and we jumped onto this, I was just wiping my son's diarrhea. That's not fun. Do I have to love that? No, but it's the oh, truth. No, so that's still a thing at eight. Sometimes when it gets really messy, yeah. <laughs> It's a good thing he doesn't hear this. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, do I love my son more than anything in the world? Absolutely. But again, do I want to have to be getting ready and getting mentally prepared for an interview and knowing that you have to clean up diarrhea? No, not really. <laughs> yeah, but I, I look at you different now because I'm like, go you, you know? <laughs> I'm a mom, just like the average mom. I always tell that to people too. So many times people will reach out to me and say like, like I'm a big deal or whatever. I'm like, you do realize like I'm just a regular mom sitting at her kitchen table in leggings, just like you are really so much of our experiences are so common. And that's why I chose to write about them. Cause I love when people go, Oh, me too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I'm not alone. And so whether it's funny things or whether it's serious things, you know, we're, we're in it together. It's a very common experience oftentimes. Well, you do claim to have a doctorate in legging design. So <laughs> You know, can I actually tell you what's really funny about that? Yeah. Even, so I do love leggings. I wear leggings all the time, except today I'm wearing sweatpants, but that's okay. Good for you. Um, thank you. And I am having, so I wrote that in the book about having a doctorate in legging design. Funny thing is I'm actually working with a company called Miami Fitwear to design my own li line of leggings to go out with the book when the book launches. I wrote that six months ago, having no idea that I actually will be designing leggings, but I will be. I mean, that's the dream. Yeah. That's the dream to have a legging line and be a mom. I'm living the dream. And it's actually gonna have my memes on it, which is, that's even cooler. Yeah, I don't want to veer too far off course, but like, how, like, what do you, how, how are you gonna walk into this legging design situation? Like, what are your must have features of a mom legging? Good quality, soft material, good stitching, nice patterns. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff to- Compression. To Booty Compression. lift. Right. All, all of those things. See, because you know, I think, I think you're getting your master's in legging design right now. Well, you know, one step at a time. <laughs> so it's funny that you even ask about that because yeah, I am working with a company to design my own leggings. That is so cool. I loved yeah. that you're just following the path where it takes you. I really am. I'm a very easygoing, even keeled kind of person. And so I'm sort of just going with the flow on all kinds of stuff. So right off in the first couple of pages, you tackle the great breastfeeding debate because that's the first thing that we deal with when we're in the hospital. We are, you know, exhausted. Our bodies are mangled and you have to face this huge, huge decision that comes with a lot of, a lot of noise around it. Yeah. But I love the way that you handled it because you said, <laughs> and this is kind of a theme throughout the book is these little pop quizzes and little games. And so you say, you know, circle the number of F's you should give about choosing nursing or choosing formula. And what is the answer to that question? How many F's should we give? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. As long as your baby is fed and they're gaining weight, that's all that matters. 
Okay, but why do we give so many Fs? Because I was a mom who gave a tremendous number. I, of I Fs. did too. I did too. And I hope that I conveyed that properly in the book because I really cared so much. I cared so much that I tried nursing in the very beginning. The first couple of days was really hard for me. So then I started pumping into the bottles so that I could like quantify and see how much I was pumping and then giving him the bottle. So I was like trying to nurse and then trying to pump. And then around like three months old, I introduced formula because we were on vacation. So then I was doing all three at the same time. And, and then for whatever reason, nursing became easier for me. And then my son wouldn't stop nursing and he nursed until he was two and a half. So <laughs> I did all of it. I, I literally did anything you could think of with that. I did it. I, I gave him formula. I nursed, I pumped into the bottles. He breastfed extended periods of time. It was everything. My husband, uh, when he was a child, obviously he breastfed until he was like two and a half and his mother still talks about it. His mother still brings it up. (laughs) I did too. And, um, my mom also still talks about it. (laughs) Oh gosh. I mean, I, I wish it was so much easier to not care so much. I really, I envy the people who don't care. I do too. And at the time, and this is a a big difference, I think, between eight years ago and now with social media and everything, people are talking about that. Eight years ago, when I had my son, all I felt was that pressure. You have to nurse, you have to nurse, you have to nurse. It's going to be easy. You know, don't think about it. And the, my lactation nurse at the hospital was so mean. She grabbed my boob and she squeezed (laughs) so hard and she forced it in his mouth. And I I had like her nail marks, her nail marks in my breast. It was terrible. And so it was horrible experience. And so I felt like a total failure which is why I felt like, okay, now I'm going to pump it. And so I could see it in the bottle. So, okay, now I feel like a failure. I'm going to do one after another. And the thing was, no one was talking about there really being a choice. No one was talking about being like, it's okay because it's hard. It's okay to choose formula only. It's okay if your body doesn't produce milk, it's okay. And no one was saying that back then. And so it was just this pressure that was just on me all the time. And so now I'm saying to everyone else, it's okay. However you choose to feed is fine. And, And if it's not a choice and your body's not making milk and and you're exclusively formula fed, that's fine too. Right. See, and I, with my second, I had a very difficult time breastfeeding. And so I became an exclusive pumper. And so, I mean, there's no greater soul sucking activity than exclusive pumping. It was absolutely terrible. And yet I have this chip on my shoulder. Like I want people to know that I did something really hard and it was awful and I did it, you know? So like- Yes. I mean, if you think about it, how many hours of scrolling on your phone did you do while nursing? I mean, like while pumping, right? Exactly. Exactly. So much. I just feel like I probably have carpal tunnel from that, from all of the pumping. And I got so obsessed with counting of the ounces. And I think I calculated, it ended up being over that six month period of time, like 50 gallons of milk. And so whenever I go to the store... (laughs) I look at those rows of milk and I'm like, holy crap. But those are hours of my life I don't get back. (laughs) Right. That's, it's true. I was watching a lot of Downton Abbey. That was like the kind of the big show when my son was born. So I watched like all of Downton Abbey (laughs) while pumping or nursing. That one I have not watched. Are you watching Bridgerton? I need to No, I feel like I'm the only person in the world right now that's not watching it. and And I need to get on top of that. I haven't started that one yet, but I feel like they're kind of along the same sort of. Yes. I think that this new one just has more sex in it than Downton Abbey. 
Okay. Well, there we go. That, that's what I <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. You tackle potty training in just two pages. I love that. I could have written an entire book just on that, you know, altogether, but due to time constraints, yes, uh, we talk about that and yes, two pages. Uh, we were a firm believers of a couple methods of things. One, it's the potty train in a weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am, yes. Um, that, worked, that worked really well for us. And so I sort of tell people like, hey, go check out this potty training in a weekend thing. Then the other thing was, I just threw everything away all the time. Like my son's clothes, like he pooped in his pants all the time. Garbage. I mean, like, so, I know it's so wasteful. I'm sorry. And even at, at the time I was like, you know what? I'm going to invent disposable clothes for kids. And then I didn't, but I, I probably should have. They probably would have been something similar to like the mesh panties that we wear in the hospital postpartum. Something like that should have been like the potty training clothes for kids. Well, hey, if this podcast or that comment ends up in the right entrepreneur's lap, I know. You're going to be designing leggings and disposable clothing. I know, it's true. Because, I mean, but tell me, don't you think that that's kind of a good idea? You're like, they're not like super thick, but they're not like super thin. It's not quite like paper. It's sort of right. like in between. Because we just threw, we had a lot of accidents. We were throwing out a lot of clothes. Yeah, see, and I don't see a problem with that because I'm also the person who if a Tupperware is looking particularly disgusting and that food's been in there a while, I'll sometimes just pitch the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, like when it's like really orange or something, or when it starts to get corroded. Yeah, sometimes you just got to throw it out. You tackle some other, some big things. And, and I like the way that you phrase this. Um, one of your chapters or problems is building a house with no closets. What did you mean by that? So we, we talk about um, allyship and raising L- LGBTQ children. And so in that, we're saying that, you know, respect is paramount for all families including families with children who uh, are LGBT. And so we talk about building the, um, the house with no closets is that we want our children to feel confident enough to come out and tell us right from the get-go and, and not have any shame or fear in being honest to be themselves. Right. And especially right now when there's, there's such an intense focus and you spend some time on this too, about the gender and the gender reveal. And should we not label kids with gender? And sometimes I feel like we're putting an awful lot of mess in the air around something that should just be between us and our kid. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree, Denise. Absolutely. And that's why I think open and honesty and and open communication is, is, paramount in all parental things. And when I speak with my son, I get down on his level and we always, I always speak with him to him with um, respect because he's a person too. You know, it's not, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago where you have to respect your parents because you're the child and because I say so. That's not how we do it in our family. In our family, yes, I'm the mom and, you know, I have certain roles and responsibilities therein, but my child is still a person. Just because he's smaller and he's still developing doesn't mean that he doesn't have opinions or ideas or can provide insight to our family. I think that's true right across the board for for everything with it. That's such an empowering way to look at it from the child's perspective. You know, the piece of advice you always hear is like, give them a little more power in just these little ways. And it helps them feel like they have some more control over their life. Even when at the end of the day, you're still pulling the strings. 
Exactly. That's really what it is. I like to sometimes shift the onus of control to him so that he feels that, that like I give him one, he gives me one, I give him one, we give him one. And so sometimes on the weekends, I'll let him stay up really late. And my husband's like, he has to go to bed. Why is he up? And I'm like, for one, it's a pandemic right now. And so for two, we keep having these like sleepover parties, like just the two of us. And he's like, mom, I'm going to invite you to a party don't tell dad, it's just going to be us. And we're going to stay up and eat snacks. And I was like, sure. And because the thing is, he's like, right, we're not having sleepover parties right now or anything like that. Actually, he's never even had a sleepover party yet. And so the thing is, it's like, should I tell him to go to bed? Yes. But can I throw him a bone every once in a while and say, let's stay up and eat snacks and have fun together? Of course, because I, I acknowledge how challenging it is. The world is right now. And so even though I do kind of want to go to bed and it is, you know, 1130 and we probably need to go to sleep, but I do, I, I throw them that every once in a while. There's one chapter in the book that I don't know if, if you saw this one where I interview my son. It's one of my favorite chapters because it's called an interview with a kid. It's, it's the last problem in the, the kid's problem chapter. And so one thing he says is like, moms should listen to kids more often because we have a lot to say. And I loved that one because I think that really goes back to acknowledging the respect, right? And the control. And it can't be always like, you do this, you do this, you do this all the time. Because I know, at least for my son, like that doesn't work. I was talking about that concept of them being these little people with my friend when we were talking about social media and our kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how, how you handle it because, you know, people want to see my kids, you know, and my kids are so much part of my experience in talking about being a mom. And as my four-year-old gets older, the more and more I'm going, he's a person and he's a human. What are your thoughts on how you balance like interviewing him and putting his thoughts and his life out there? I don't put him out there so often because right from the get-go, I always said, now it's maybe not so true, but I always said that Modern Mom Probs is not about me as Tara. It's about all of the other modern moms out there to share their story and to talk about it and, and to connect as a community. In the past year or so, like I said, since I peeled back the curtain to say like, hi, I'm Tara, this is my story. I have not really uh, you know, put him out there so much like, Yes, he exists. And most people know that I have one child. I myself am an only child with an only child, but you're hard pressed to find, you know, a lot of photos of him or anything like that, because I talk more about the experience of motherhood just in general, even without him as a person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So he is there sometimes, but he's not, you know, front and center. You'll never see my husband on anything because (laughs) he does his own thing. My husband's actually a doctor. And so he, you know, we keep that very separate of like his professional practice and and my professional work. So yeah, I, I do keep my family pretty private for, for the most part. And again, that's a personal choice. You know, there are many bloggers who their whole livelihood is built on photos of their families. Right. And that's totally fine too, because that's, that's their personal choice. It just depends, you know, which way you want to go with it. But for your, your, your children are beautiful. I saw your boys. They're adorable. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. They are rather photogenic, except we're nearing the phase where it's like camera goes up, kid goes running. Yes. I, I totally understand too. You know, funny thing is my son hates getting his photo taken. And so maybe that's actually part of it too. I can't ever get him to look at the camera and smile. Like it's like pulling teeth, like really challenging, like either like he'll be smiling, but he'll be looking the other direction. Well, and they know that if they do smile, you know, that you're going to want to take more. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably true. Yes. I can't even get one for just old time's sake. Okay, so that leads into another problem that you addressed, and that is the digital picture overload. 
so many pictures. I mean, I even think that now, cause like my phone is like screenshots, memes, you know, photos of him, photos of cats. I have a lot of photos of cats. And so it's just, it's hard. It's like, what do you do with all of this stuff? Right. And so there are several different solutions. One obviously is like backing things up to, I'm an Android user. So I always use everything Google. So it's like backing things up to your Google drive or to sending, send things off to Snapfish. So there's definitely many different um, digital solutions and cloud-based solutions. But I mean, in a hundred years, could you ever imagine having as many photos as we do. Like my 10 year old self or 13 year old self could never fathom having, you know, 5,000 photos saved. No, no, not at all. No, because now it's like, okay, mom, is there a picture of me that wants, it's like, I have a snapshot in my head of maybe the 10 or 12 pictures that stand out because you'd seen them a bunch or they were hanging up at grandma's or whatever. And those pictures, because they were so rare and I'm like sounding like a major old lady, it's like, even when they weren't perfect of you and you know, nobody was smiling quite right or whatever. It's like, there were so few and they were so treasured because of that. And we're losing a little bit of that treasured photograph feeling. That's so true. I never thought of it like that, but you're right. I mean, I could probably count on my hands how many pictures that my mom has of me, you know, displayed or something like that, that I think, okay, that was fifth grade. That was when I graduated college, you know, whatever it happens to be. And you're right. Like, that's it. Those are your photos. And then even for our parents, it's even less, right? So that's actually a really good point. Now we're just like, I mean, we have photos coming out like water, you know, it's just like, you can't even like control the, the, fire hydrant amount of photos that we have. Well, and then the other modern mom prob. Okay. So like I'm sitting in front of this like little family photo wall. Beautiful. There's no evidence of a second child anywhere here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's even funnier. You know, Um, I mean, you just, uh, you just don't get around to it, but I got to get him up there before he realizes he's not up there. (laughs) gonna say I mean you're lucky that he's only two so that he's not like mommy is that me or I mean maybe he thinks that newborn is him and so it's okay for now but yeah. yes you do you have to definitely get him up there sooner rather than later <laughs> but it's you, I mean even the baby books right like I'm sure you have a baby book for your older one but do you have I a do. baby book for your younger one you know I actually do and it's it's not bad it's not as empty as I maybe anticipated that it would be I've been doing okay with it I've been doing okay that's good. No, that that's important. You know, when, when my son was born, I used to go on to Shutterfly and then like produce these like little books on Shutterfly. And then, and I was really good about it. Like for the first several years, I was probably doing it maybe like twice a year or so. And then when he turns like, I don't know, maybe three, I just stopped it all together. So there's like nothing printed out after the age of three. I know. I wish I was one of those family yearbook people you know, where you take the whole year and you make it beautiful. Yeah, I guess that's what I would call it. Yeah, that, that's what we were doing. I, I was doing like family yearbooks. But again, like at that point, I was probably doing maybe like twice a year. But because um, he was like a baby. When you're a baby, you're taking like so many pictures, you know. But yeah, I, I probably stopped. And, you know, that's one of those things. You know, the more pictures, the more comparison, the more we feel the urge to be perfect. I mean, that's, yeah, that's motherhood you know, too. It really is. And like, I look back at Jack's photos, like from when he was a baby and like everything was from my camera and like the camera pictures, like the cam- the the phone cameras, excuse me, like weren't as good as they are now. Right. So like all of his pictures are kind of like grainy and kind of crappy anyway. And so we didn't really have too many professional photo shoots. I think we had like two. 
his newborn one at the hospital. And then maybe one he, when he was like four months old and that was it. Yeah. And everything else yeah. was like my, my crappy phone camera. The one thing I do love is I love that my wedding photos are looking old. Cause I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're looking old. It's been a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's true. Mine looks very, I, I got married. So uh, we're almost married 15 years now and I got married in um, 2006 and like I feel like everything just very 2000s in that if that makes sense like the hair the makeup it's all very 2000s yes I understand yeah and so when you when you go to post a wedding picture 15 years congratulations by the way thank yeah, you not quite as like blogger ready as they yeah. are now you know no, it's, it's, it's very true. Yeah. I don't even know where the digital versions of those are. I, I would have to like this how terrible. I'd probably have to take a picture of my photo album because I probably lost the CD-ROM that my <laughs> pictures actually came on. Yep. Same here. That's what my wedding photos are on as well. Let's get to the great chicken nugget debate. Talk yes. to me about the intense and important research that went into this debate. <laughs> So um, my son is a selective eater, which means that, um, AKA picky eater, I just try to frame it in a kind way. I think um, it's very nice that way. Thank you. I try. He really likes uh, chicken nuggets and uh, will eat chicken nuggets from almost anywhere. So I sort of break down the different types of fast food chicken nuggets from like Wendy's to Burger King to McDonald's and stuff like that. But ultimately the best chicken nugget is the one that you can get your hands on the fastest. <laughs> yeah. I mean- if you were to pick though, honestly. If I had like my favorite fast food chicken nugget, mm-hmm. Wendy's. Yeah. I like Wendy's. Really? Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I'm a, do you, do you guys have Raising Cane's by you? No, I've never heard of that. Okay. It's some sort of Southern chicken chain and it just came to our area here in Iowa, maybe a year ago. And so that's really raised the chicken game around here. Interesting. We're only just starting to get Chick-fil-A's in our area. Okay. And, and to the point where like the lines are so long that the police are there to like escort people into that. And so um, that has elevated the chicken game, but because the lines are so long, we have not gone. Um, my favorite Chick-fil-A story we just ran in our newscast the other day. The lines for Chick-fil-A are universally so long across the country, not just by you, um, that when uh, I think it was like a South Carolina health department was trying to get their vaccine clinic line down, they consulted with Chick-fil-A about crowd and line management. That oh, is that's, hilarious. That's with lines. So little chicken nugget tidbit for you. <laughs> that is good to know. I didn't know that. Cause like I said, because we have so few of them in our area, I just figured that it was because they were new to the area and everyone's like flocking to them. No pun intended. Flocking <laughs> to their chicken. <laughs> Um, so you also tackle the concept of the mom friend. That's one of my favorite parts of motherhood is mom friends, because, you know, there was that point in adulthood when it's hard to make new friends when you don't have kids. So it's like you have kids and it opens up this like secret society of people that you can talk to. I love that about motherhood. It was, right? Didn't it? Who knew? No one told us that beforehand. (laughs) Um, but then you also broached the topic of the dad friend and the dad friend is a tougher, a tougher, um, guy to find because dads aren't as good 
at the mom friend game. Yes. In the book, I mentioned like four steps or something like that to making a dad friend. And one of them I described smiling and I was like, the corners of your mouth rise up and this is called a smile. Um, my husband is an introvert, so he's not the type of guy that's going to go rush out to try to make dad friends. Um, uh, he's a lovely guy. I love him. I've been with him for a long time, but, but he's not going out of his way in, uh, to, to be extra friendly. And I feel like many dads, at least many dads that we know are sort of in the same boat, you know, like they're friends with their friends and like, that's good. They don't need to make any new friends because they already have their friends. So, I mean, at least for us, like, you know, we're going to the playgrounds more often and we're going to the play dates, the mommy and me classes and stuff like that. And so that's the opportunities to um, make mom friends. But, you know, when my son was born and, and, and he was, you know, a toddler, we were going to the mommy and me classes. I had a really hard time making mom friends for a couple of reasons. One, I went to the classes and, and because we were in New York City, I mean, I don't know if it's because of, but it's coincidence. Um, they were all nannies. And so the moms weren't taking their children to the classes. And so then you'd end up hanging out and being friends with the nannies, which is awesome. But it was just like, there weren't the mom friends, like at five o'clock, like they, they get to go home. So that was something that was sort of different. And so I really struggled with, um, with that. My, my son was in daycare for a little while. So I became friends with um, some of the moms from the daycare class. And that was the first like group of mom friends that I had. But it was, it, I personally, I found it really hard to make right. like long lasting mom friends, which is weird because you think like, one, I'm a super big extrovert. I'm really friendly. I talk to, you know, everybody. And two, we were living in New York city with a city with 8 million people. So again, you think that you'd be meeting a lot of people and that just wasn't really, um, wasn't the case for us at the time. Yeah. That is interesting. Just a difference in, um, you know, just like the availability. Cause for me, I worked evenings for the longest time, kind of like a second shift. And so I would go to like the mommy fitness classes in the morning before my work would start. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause again, everyone's family dynamic is different. Right. And so it was, it was challenging. I would be talking with the nannies thinking that they were the moms and they weren't. And so yeah. it was hard to like get, like dive into that postpartum kind of talk with people <laughs> who weren't ready to talk about that. Right. <laughs> you know, we're going over these problems, but just along the way, there's these different um, little quizzes and little um, illustrations and things like that. And so that was obviously an important part of the book to you. Right. It was because I wanted it to um, come off as a survival guide because I call it a survival guide. So I thought like, well, like what would a survival guide have in it. And I thought, well, maybe quizzes and, you know, the different um, games and puzzles and stuff like that. And then the illustrations um, that start each chapter were really important to me too, because my friend Mary, who I work with um, all the time, and her Instagram page is called Grow Up Bright. And Mary uh, illustrated um, all of those beautiful illustrations at the beginning of each chapter. Is there a chapter or a problem that um, was your favorite one to write or, or one that, that's a must read for you? I really liked writing about the work-life balance because I'm not sure if you saw that chapter, but um, I crushed the notion of the work-life balance. And I talk about it's what you really need is work-life um, effectiveness because there's no such thing as balance. The, the concept of balance 
only will ever set you up for fail. What you need to do is try to work towards effectiveness in each of the spheres of your life. Am I being an effective mother today? Um, what are my goals for, what are my objectives for that? Am I being an effective employee or spouse or whatever it happens to be? And when you find how the best way for you personally to be effective, that's where you really hit the sweet spot of that. So, so balance doesn't exist. Like balance will only ever set you up for fail, but effectiveness on, on the other hand is where you really succeed. I appreciate uh, the evolution of that. Cause at first it was like, we can have it all. And then it was like, well, we can have it all with balance, but effectiveness takes it to a more digestible level where it's like, yeah, you, you can be good at little pieces of all these things, but not all of it. Not all of it, not all the time. And you have to figure out what effective means for you, but that's what you, you try to strive for. And what your objective is for that particular day too. Yeah, I mean, day to day, it changes. <laughs> um, so tell people when they can start getting the book. April, you said? Well, you can buy it uh, pre-sale right now. It's okay. on amazon.com and on barnesandnoble.com. And um, so that's the pre-sale. And then it officially launches April 21st. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the book. Honestly, such a great baby shower gift. That was, that was sort of my, my thought was like with baby showers or, you know, new baby gift or, or a birthday gift, you know runs runs the gamut of you know all of all of the gift giving opportunities exactly because it's not just for the brand new mom either there's many many years beyond so again that book is called modern mom probs a survival guide for the 21st century mothers um i love that you don't take it too seriously and yet you also recognize when things do need more resources and you offer those links and ideas and places to go get more additional information while keeping it light and keeping it fun. Thank you, Denise. I appreciate your kind words. My thanks to Tara for the fun conversation in the middle of a snowstorm. And I'm glad that uh, we have so much that we can relate about as moms living in different parts of the country, you know, raising different kids and so many different circumstances. That's what I love so much about these conversations with other moms. So I hope you enjoy that conversation as well. Find Tara on Instagram at Modern Mom Probs. Give her a follow. And while you're at it, find at On a Mother Level. It's where we're posting a bunch of new content, what to expect every week, and stuff that I don't share on my at Denise WQAD page. But hopefully you're following both. So that is it for this week, you guys. Another great episode is coming next week. This one is another deep conversation for you next week about preeclampsia. So I'm really excited to share that information with you. And I learned a ton during that conversation. So that will be coming for you next week. So much more coming, you guys. I have some really great guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. So I hope you'll stay tuned. Tell a friend. Thank you for listening to On a Mother Level. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.